Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by Ken Holsberry, the preaching minister at the 10th and Broad Church. Let's tune in now for Ken's message. Uh, we uh, want to uh, think about uh, Romans chapter 8 today, and, and we're going to be in, in verses uh, 28 through 30 this morning. And uh, the title of the sermon is, is No Dead Ends. There are no dead ends in Jesus Christ. So, so I was thinking about dead ends and, and signs for dead ends. We have a few signs here this morning of just uh, dead ends. Uh, Lover's Lane is a dead end. Just, just you need to know that. That's important information for you to know. That old hospital road can be a dead end. This is definitely a dead end. Now, this one is for me because your GPS is wrong. This is not a through road. This is a dead end. I usually think that I am right and the GPS is wrong. So I'm familiar with that sign. This one, I really don't know what to do with this particular sign. That's not the kind of Bible camp we want you going to. And this one I just like because there's just no options here. This is truly a dead end. You can't go forward. You can't even go backward here. You are just stuck. Sometimes life can feel that way. And God has a word for us about that today. I want to ask you to stand as we've been doing every week. Today, just so you'll hear it from someone different, Lee is going to read through Romans chapter 8 for us as we've been meditating on that. And uh, when we get to verses 28 through 30, I want to ask you to join and and read along with him. Romans chapter 8 from the New International Version. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteousness or the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, good, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. 
But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies, good, with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Maybe some of you are experiencing that, trying to remember how this goes. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved, but... Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes. For us through wordless groans. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. You may be seated. Well, we have seen some incredible, majestic, and awesome views from the summit, from the mountaintop of Romans chapter 8. The very first view that we saw said that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And from there, the view just continues to unfold. And because there is no condemnation, we have learned that we can actually say no to sin because of the Holy Spirit. In our life. And because there's no condemnation and we can say no to sin, there is no need to return to a spirit of fear. Instead, we have the Spirit of God in us. And because we don't fear anymore, then there is no reason to despair. And we know that because since we groan, we also know that we do not have to groan alone, but the Spirit groans with us. And this week we're going to see that in Christ there are absolutely no dead ends. God will get you to your destination. There's no dead ends. And our life is like a journey. It's like like a trip that we take. It's not always easy. We don't always know where we're going. We don't always know what the road ahead looks like. And there are times in our life that we come to a point where we have to make a U-turn. We have to turn around. There's times in our life where we have to make detours. And we often find ourselves at what seems like a dead end. But in Christ, there are no dead ends. We're going to see in our verses today from Romans chapter 8. That God can and God will use every event and every circumstance in your life. It doesn't matter whether it seems like a U-turn to you. It doesn't matter if it seems like a detour to you. It doesn't matter if it looks like a dead end. God can and God will get you to your destination. He will work. He will get you to where he is taking you. And so let's work through these verses. Some very uh, famous verses, I guess is a way to say it. Some very well-known verses. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who've been called according to his purpose. This is one of the... The most used verses in the Bible. 
It is also one of the most misused verses in the Bible. And so I want us just to walk through, what does this verse actually say? What is, what is God actually saying to us in this much used and much misused verse? And you can follow along in your outline, write some words down, jot some notes as, as the Lord brings things to your mind. The first thing we see is that we know. It's not we think, it's not we're wondering, it's not that we're guessing, we're not wishing, we're hoping. This is going to be something that we know. What do we know? In all things, not in some things, not in a few things, in all things, there is nothing that will happen in your life that God cannot and will not use. In all things, God can work. That's the next one. We know that in all things, God works. God is at work in your life, folks. Your life is not an accident. There is a grand design. And there is a grand designer who is at work. God is not a lazy God. He is not asleep. He's not taking a nap. He's not doing a lot of other things that... It's talked about in the Old Testament in terms of poking fun at some other gods. God is none of those things. God is at work. And he's at work for the good. God's at work for the good. And notice this verse does not say that all things are good. That's not what this verse says. Don't hear that. Don't tell other people that. All things are not good. Amen? There are some bad things. There are some evil things. That's because there is an evil one. There are some bad things. Not all things are good. There's horrible, terrible, evil things that happen to you and to people that you know and to people that we hear about. But here's the thing. Not all things are good, but God can work good. Amen to that one as well. God can work good in all things. I personally think this is the most amazing thing about my father. This is my favorite thing about the Lord. Is that it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how to you unexpected that it is. God can work good in it and through it. I love that about God. And he does it as we continue through the verse. It's the good of those who love him. And who are called. The good of those who love him and who are called. See, God loves everybody because God created everybody. It's not anyone God doesn't love. But those who are called, those who are in Christ, there's a real specific purpose we're going to see as we go on that God is working at. And for those who love him and who've been called, God is especially at work in their life to bring them to a specific place. And so these promises in Romans chapter 8 are for those who are in Christ. And I want to say again, if you're not in Christ and these promises look good, come and talk to me. 
Because I would love to tell you how to be in Christ. How to have a relationship with Jesus. How to be reconciled with the Father through Jesus Christ. He is the one who has paid your debt. And and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that if you will believe in Him, if you will follow Him, if you will trust Him, if you will put your faith in Him, if you will stake your life with Him, that He will take your sin and He will give you His righteousness. And you will be among those who are called. And you will love Him and He will work out these good things in your life. And he does it, as we finish this particular verse, according to his purpose. And I think this is the most important part of the whole verse. We're going to spend some time here a little more this morning. Because God is at work. He is working good in all things. And he's doing it according to his purpose. His purpose, not my purpose. His purpose, not our purpose. See... What God sees as good and what I see as good are not always the same thing. What God sees as good and what you see as good are not always the same thing. Our focus is on the immediate. God's focus is on the ultimate. Our focus is on the short term. God's focus is on the long term. Our focus most often is on our comfort God's focus is on our character. And, and even more specifically, his focus is on the character of his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that. God's purpose, God's aim is that I will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Christ. As we go on in verse 29, we're going to see that. It is God's will, it is God's purpose that you and I become like Jesus. That we are conformed to Jesus. That that you and I will mirror Jesus. That we will magnify Jesus. That is the purpose toward which God is at work in all things to do good for those who love Him and who are called. His goal, our destination is that we will be like Jesus. That's what God is doing in this verse. That's the the truth, the view from this mountain of Romans 8 that we are seeing. And we we go back to Romans 8 verse 3. We read it this morning. What the law was powerless to do, to make us into the character of God, what the law was powerless to do, God did. And He did it by sending His own Son in the likeness of human flesh as a sin offering. And as we said back in that sermon, right then and right there, we can point to it. That's where God did it. That's where He saved us. That's where He paid our debt. And therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. See, your ultimate destiny, your ultimate destination... Is to be like Jesus. We think our ultimate destination is heaven. And that language is used. But really what heaven is going to be like. Is when we are all like Jesus. That is our ultimate destination. To become what Jesus is. To look like Jesus looks. To be conformed into the image of Jesus. John wrote about this over in 1 John chapter 3. 
And, and he, he starts there and he reminds us of how much God loves us. In, in that, that chapter, 1 John 3, he talks about us being children of God. He also says there is a mystery. That there is so much that we don't know about the future. But he says, here's something that we do know. That when Christ appears... When he comes back like he has promised that he will. When Christ appears, John says, we will be like him. That's the purpose. That's what God is at work doing in your life. That's what he's using all things to accomplish. Is to mold you and form you into the image of of Jesus. It's why he saved you, it's why he cleansed you, it's why he has poured out his holy spirit in you. He's transforming you, he is conforming you and folks, the work that God has started, God will finish. The work God has started, God will finish and he will do it when Jesus returns. In the meantime, in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So how does God do that? Well, that is a mystery. How does God do that? I think that the next few verses do give us some insight. And Paul's going to use some words here that have become Bible words... They are rich words. They communicate a lot to us. We would do well to understand. Let's read verse 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Again, I just want to go through these words. The first word is that God foreknew. If you're going to foreknow something, it just means what? You're going to know it in advance. You and I have the ability to foreknow some things. That's usually based on our observation. I foreknow. That the sun is going to set this evening. I foreknow that the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Why? Because the sun always rises and the sun always sets. I've observed that and so I can, I can know that. But that's not the kind of foreknow that God is capable of. God foreknows because God decides and makes it happen. He doesn't have to observe it. He's the one who causes it. And so God, God foreknows. The initiative is always with God. The work is always done by God. He knows exactly what he is doing. And he knows exactly how to accomplish it. And even when we make decisions that want to go a different direction. Even when we make mistakes. Even when others do things that cause a turn in the path for us. That doesn't mess God up one single bit. Because God foreknows. He's able to accomplish what he has already decided that he will accomplish. And he has already decided that he will accomplish Jesus Christ in you no matter what. And what God has started, 
God will finish. God foreknew. The next word is that God predestined. And I said earlier that you can trust God to get you to your destination. Do you hear the common root in both of those words? Predestined and destination. Your destiny is predetermined. Yes, I said that. Your destiny is predetermined. Now, we're going to really get into some heavy stuff here for just a minute. All throughout the history of Christianity, there is this tension that exists. It's a tension that we define this way, a tension between the sovereignty of God, this ability to foreknow and to predetermine. That's that's balanced with this tension of our free choice. Our free will. The dignity that God has given us to make decisions. And so all throughout Christianity, even before that, with with God's people in the Old Testament, there's this tension. This God who knows everything, who is over all and, and in all and through all. Somehow He knows everything and He's already decided. He knows the end, but yet in that He has given us This ability, and I say this dignity because he made us in his own image, this dignity to make decisions for ourselves, and those decisions have consequences. So how do we balance that? Sadly, too often we've just run away from some words and just quit using them. But they're important words. God foreknew and God predestined. Traditionally, there have been two camps Two camps on this, on this scale, I'll say. And one we call Calvinism, named after a man named Calvin. Calvinism in its most extreme is all the way over here that everything is foreknew and everything is predestined and you really have no choice in the matter and no say in the matter and everything's just gonna happen. That's an extreme view. Most folks aren't all the way there, but that's an extreme view. And then there's a group called the Arminians. And that's after a man named Arminius. And, and its most extreme view is way over here that basically leaves God out and, and everything is just your choice. That's an extreme view. Again, most folks don't hold that, but somewhere on this continuum. And we have all kinds of debates and all kinds of discussions and people argue about Calvinism or Arminianism. I would say to you, we need to live in the mystery. We need to live in the tension. Scripture doesn't resolve it. It leaves it there and we live in it. There is a mystery here. There is a tension here. I heard a preacher say that he was a Calminian. I like that. He went on to say he believes the New Testament writers were Calminians. That they lived and they wrote in the tension of God's sovereignty and man's choice. And that God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he created a world and works in a world where we have decision-making capabilities. And Paul's purpose here in Romans 8, don't forget this. His purpose here in Romans 8, from the very beginning, is to give us confidence. Confidence in our place with God. Confidence in our salvation. And so he says, God has predestined us. And when you predestine something, you decide its destiny beforehand. You predetermine it. And that's what God has done 
for everyone who is in Jesus Christ. He's predestined for all those who are in Christ, who Christ has saved, that they're going to become like Christ. You've already been given the stamp of no condemnation. Even before you reach the end and a final judgment, it's already been determined. And God will see it through. He's already decided that all those who love Him and who answer His call will be saved and will be conformed to the image of Jesus. Because we had a part in that and we got to decide to believe it. And to follow Him. That next word is going to kind of go take us there. The word is called. God calls us. And I said the emphasis in this passage is, is on God. It's on His initiative. It's on His work. Your salvation did not start with God answering your call. Your salvation started when you answered God's call. Peter, we always talk about Peter as preaching the first gospel sermon. The first sermon that preached Jesus crucified and Jesus resurrected and Jesus ascended. And in that sermon, Peter called people. To repentance. He called people to baptism. He even uses that word in verse 39 of Acts 2. He says the promise is for you. And your children. And for all who are far off. That's you. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And I believe that God's call happens when the gospel is presented. God's call happens when Jesus is lifted up. And men are drawn to him. When the gospel is presented, when the good news of what God has done through Jesus is presented, it is a call and we get to answer it. We get to believe it and repent and be baptized into it. And so God is calling everyone. There's not a a person he's created that he isn't calling. Presenting to them the way and the truth and the life and inviting them to answer the call. And when we do, he justifies us. That's the next word, justified. Paul loves this word in Romans. It's a full, rich word. It means that you have been made right. Everything in your life that was wrong and and messed up and going in too many directions, chaos, just like he did with creation when he brought order to it. He's going to bring that to your life. He's going to justify you. He's going to make you right with God. Again, that Second Corinthians 5 passage, we get the righteousness of Jesus. And it means that we're under no condemnation. And it happens when you put your faith in God to get you To the destination that he has prepared for you. And in your faith, he will justify you. He'll make you right. And then the last word blows me away. Glorified. Boy, the glory of the Lord is an awesome, majestic, beautiful thing all through Scripture. The glory of the Lord. Jesus came to us. And showed us God's glory. And somehow. And I'm so thankful for it. Somehow. 
That is your destiny. That is my destiny. We're going to be glorified. And we'll be glorified when we're conformed to the image of Jesus. And he is going to use every event in your life to do it. He's going to use every wrong turn in your life. Everything that even seems like a dead end. God, who is weaving a masterpiece in your life, is able to use it all. None of it upsets him. None of it confuses him. None of it makes it harder for him. He'll just keep working to accomplish what he has decided he is going to accomplish. That you will be glorified and become like Jesus. It's incredibly hard for me to grasp or imagine. But it's the promise of God. And it is the view that we see from the summit of Romans chapter 8. God has a purpose for your life. Purpose is that you look like Jesus. And I love this. Almost, we could just skip it and throw it away, but we don't dare do that. God doesn't just want you and his family. God wants his son Jesus to be the oldest brother of a huge and growing family. This gospel is for you, but it's not just for you. This destination is for you, but it's not just for you. God wants everyone he's ever created to find their way back to him through Jesus. To be called, to be justified, to be glorified in this wonderful, marvelous family of God that we have been adopted into as sons and daughters. And God's going to do what God's going to do. Nothing's going to thwart him. Nothing's going to stop him. Nothing's going to slow him down. He'll do it. Even your most difficult circumstances will just be another part of the tapestry that is your life. And God will use it to complete what he started. Your journey is going to have some starts and some stops. There's sin, there's sorrow. There's hurt. There's even death. But even death is not a death, dead end in Christ. In Jesus we move from death to life. Even death will not keep God from doing what he has decided to do. There are no dead ends in Christ Jesus. They whipped him. And they beat him. They crucified him. And they killed him. They buried him and they guarded his grave. And none of it stopped God. Because on the third day, he raised him from the dead. Death is not a dead end. Death is just one more part of the journey.
for those who are in Christ. That's where God's taking you, folks. That's where we're going together. In the meantime, groan. But don't let your groaning keep you from gaining the future that God has for you. Don't despair. Don't give up. Don't groan alone. God is faithful. And he will do what he says he will do. And he says that you've been called. And he says you've been justified. And he says, he even says it as if it's already happened. You've been glorified. Because it's that sure. And honestly, right now, you don't look very glorified. And when I look in a mirror, I do not look very glorified. I look pretty weak, pretty dim, pretty dingy, pretty beat up. That's not what God sees. God sees what he's doing. He sees what he's accomplishing. Somehow we need to see that in each other as well. Because what we will be. It's going to be glorious. I've never been. But I've seen pictures and they don't do justice. I've heard about the Sistine Chapel. This incredible work of art. It's actually multiple works of art covering the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel that Michelangelo painted 500 years ago. Supposedly incredibly beautiful, but oddly enough, through the years, a lot of art critics commented that it really didn't live up to its expectations. It wasn't as marvelous as glorious as they had thought it would be that it was actually kind of dim and dingy and dirty and then a few years ago i don't know exactly how many a few years ago they decided that the ceiling needed to be cleaned after 500 years of smoke from candles and incense that had risen and so they meticulously cleaned off the dirt And the filth from these paintings and marveled at their brightness and their beauty and their glory when all that was taken away. Right now, you and I are that masterpiece, and we do. We're covered with the grit and the grime and the filth of making this journey. But God is calling you. If you're in Christ, he is justifying you. And if you're in Christ, he is glorifying you. And he'll work it all out. And he will achieve his purpose. That we would be like Jesus. And when the results are finished. It will be marvelous. And yes it will be glorious.
Would you pray with me? Father, I am overwhelmed at this moment with the incredible truth that I've just been allowed to preach. I, I, I marvel in wonder and awe. I can't even come up with the right words to describe this incredible truth of what you have just shared with us in Romans chapter 8. And I thank you, God. I thank you from the depths of my being that you're doing this in me, that you're doing this in us. You're doing so much more than just saving us, and that's enough, but you're doing, you're just, you're working out everything. You're working your good. And there's nothing that gets in your way and nothing that slows you down or stops you. I just, I'm amazed, God. I'm so thankful that you are who you are and that even though you are who you are, you love us so much that you went to these lengths to accomplish this purpose that is far more than I could even imagine. Thank you, God. And I pray that you would do it in many, 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 many more. I pray that, oh, so many would answer your call, God. I pray that you would use us as conduits not to, not to hold on to this truth, not to hold on to this glory, but to share it, God, with anyone and everyone that we come into contact with so that your family will grow. More and more, we'll answer your call, be justified and be glorified. Father, thank you for your power, your ability. Please, in some way, God, give us some perspective as we live in this mystery and in this tension. Give us some perspective to see in ourselves and in others what you are doing. Earlier in Romans 8, you talked about hope. And that hope isn't hope if if we've already seen it. And we don't see this yet. But we have hope because of Jesus. And so in the meantime, Lord, we wait patiently. And we do groan. And thank you that we do not groan alone. I just want to keep saying thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.